0: Beans. There's so many of them. Red beans, black beans, baked beans, mung beans. But whatever they're called, all beans are magic. They can become our favorite dinners or the tastiest working lunch. They can be a thrifty dull, and nutritious dip or the meal that takes a girl to school. Best of all, wherever they're grown, they enrich the soil for future generations. Beans are good food and good food is everything. Join the conversation. Search UN Good Food for All.
1: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on farm to table talk with your host, Roger Wasson. There's a lot of reasons. I like having conversations with Michael Demick of roots of change. And one of them is that he's always thinking about how to make the food system better. Uh, Michael, uh, You've, we're going to go down the whole list someday of all the different ways that you're trying to improve on the food system. But one in particular got my attention, that you and Patrick Mulvaney did an article that was in the, uh, in the Sacramento Bee. And you were talking about the need to be able to get um, small meat processors going. And um, when you get so many things you can work on, Michael, why is this one making your hit list?
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Roger. It's really great to be back with you. We've done many podcasts together through the years for for uh, your podcast, mine, and and others. And it's always a joy to speak with you because uh, you have an inquiring mind and uh, an open heart. So I appreciate it. Um, so why meet? I'll tell you. Um, first of all, when I was uh, growing up, uh, my cousins, my uncle. Um, and cousins had a cattle ranch. So I spent a lot of time on that ranch as a child um, going to the roundups and being around the cattle and the cowboys hunting and uh, fell in love with the whole, um, that world. And um, so I've always been interested in it. I'm i I'm actually a carnivore. I love meat. Uh, I'm really dedicated to grass fed meat and, and uh, lamb and, and pork and, and heritage breeds, things like that. Uh, and I, because I work in the sustainable ag world. And um, so It's always been on my mind. We've done, uh, Roots of Change has actually tried to change the laws around poultry processing in the California to really help small producers who um, are challenged in that system. Um, And when the pandemic hit, we all saw what happened uh, with meat processing. And prior to that, I had gone to the food systems lab, UC Davis and said, uh, which I have been working on for some time around climate smart agriculture projects. And I said, let's do, A study what we call a a meat use case around the the challenges in the meat industry. Then COVID hit and we saw all the outflow and all the problems with supply chain there. And um, we began this process uh, of, of studying that. And at exactly the same time, CCOF approached me, the California Certified Organic Farmers, and said they were really concerned about meat processing for organic farmers. And would we could we work together? I said, absolutely. I told him about the study we were doing. So we joined forces and then we invited a coalition. That coalition became kind of an informant, a base of informers to work with us on the study. Um, and then in the middle of finishing the study, all these things happened. JBS got hacked. They're the largest meat processor, industrial meat processor in the world. They were completely shut down all their plants. Um, we saw the USDA talking about the fact that we had to change the meat system. The Secretary of Agriculture said, we've thought of efficiency in a certain way around these big plants that did it all, but we have to think differently now because we have seen the brittleness. He didn't say those words, but we've seen the challenges. When you concentrate everything, we need to think about efficiency in a different way. So all of that armed us and, and, and made it clear that we were on the right path.
1: We you say you're on the right path. Uh, I'm going to skip away to the end of the path here, and, and what it might look like that there would, in fact, be uh, what I don't know every several hundred miles or something, uh, new meat processing plant that's able to be inspected, and somebody could be able to take their their hogs or their cattle or their lambs or you know, and, and maybe even their chickens and have them processed to be able to to be sold uh, locally. Um, help me fill in the gaps. I'm just trying, now, trying to get a broad complex. picture.
0: Yeah. It's a very, con- this is part of the problem and why it's been so hard to change because it's a very complex system. So let me just say that when uh, go back to the beginning, a little bit, when COVID hit, what happened is, well, most probably 90%, 95% of the meat that we eat in California, um, comes from the Midwest. Now the cattle may have been raised here, the hogs may have been raised here, but they're shipped to the Midwest or the South to be processed and sent back in boxes that go to retailers motion. So what happened was when COVID hit, all the processing plants in the Midwest shut down for a while. And when that happened or went to very part time, when that happened... Um, all, the meat pro- all the meat producers, that is the cattlemen, started taking up all the small plants. So all the mid-sized scale guys and the little guys got pushed out because the plants wanted to be more efficient locally and have a larger supply. Right. So that was the problem. We realized we needed a larger number of plants all around the country in order to deal with disruptions that are going to be coming more often in the future due to climate change, And all the storms and all that fires and then also ability to hack because that's going to be a consistent problem. So um, the thought became we need to create more um, duplication throughout Mm -hmm. the system of different scales of plants. And it's not only about plants. It's also about on-farm processing. A lot of the very small producers are processing or want to process on their farms, that is, slaughter on the farms and then have them shipped, taken to the other piece of the meat processing system. You have the plants where they actually slaughter animals, and then you have the plants where they cut and wrap it for distribution. Mm-hmm. So those are two different kinds of, 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 of processing facilities. So what we were looking for is the ability to process more animals on farm legally um, so that small farms could do it. And there are there are licensed companies in California called mobile slaughter operations that go around their license and they do work on the ranches and the farms. That's very important to really release that field because there's a lot of people. The second big piece of this challenge is that the only meat that can be sold wholesale and retail is meat. That's USDA inspected. So there are very few USDA inspection, expected plants, inspected plants in California They're more expensive to operate for all kinds of federal reasons, laws, regulations. So a lot of the meat that's sold from small regional producers, that is mid-scale and small-scale, is done at the California plants, plants that are registered in the state of California. But that meat can only be sold in very limited ways. The meat has to be sold as a live animal prior to slaughter. Someone has to sign up and say, I'm going to buy your sheep, your goat, your your beef, your um, cow. And then once it's bought, it can be slaughtered, packaged, and given to the person who buys it. That really limits because how many people can put that much meat in a freezer if it's a cow? So what we did, what we're trying to do is get these California plants able to do intrastate sales just in California because that would expand the market hugely for our small, mid-scale producers. California is a big market. So we're not even thinking about intrastate or international. We're just thinking about trying to extend the market to all of California from these smaller plants.
1: So that's 40 million people. Yes. So that's a huge, huge market. So if that happened, then they could these smaller plants could be able to sell directly to the supermarkets or directly to restaurants as long as they were in the state
0: in-state and there would be some additional things they would have to do obviously we because it's about food safety in the end that's why we have a lot of these regulations Mm -hmm. although the truth of the matter is it's the big industrial plants that have most of the problems with that because they're so large one little thing happens and it affects huge amount of product going out the door so um uh, ironically the regulations that are set up for the big corporations that cost so much aren't really needed probably at the small regional plants. So we're trying to work on all those things with USDA and with the California Department of Food and Ag.
1: You know, I have to just observe. I've been talking to people in Clubhouse and uh, we've had some other podcasts that I swear this is a problem in every state. Uh, I know it's a problem in Canada, Australia, New Zealand. I've talked to people that, so everybody is grappling with something similar, Michael. And then, and, you know, it makes me think about how you've talked about our food system and everything seemed like it was going to have to keep getting larger scale, larger scale, larger scale. And every once in a while, you know, it seems like we were just being hopeful that it could pull back a little bit. And there's some opportunities for the smaller operations, local operations to succeed, but there's been these huge obstacles. So maybe this is one of those silver linings to COVID, which I I want to take that back immediately having said that, but it it has forced us to be able to be pretty creative, and it's uh and figure out how you accomplish this resilience. It seems like that's what you're doing.
0: Thank you. I I agree. It is um, COVID as tragic and difficult as it's been for families, for states, you know, cities. A public health system and then for our economy and all the businesses that have been harmed, particularly restaurants, um, really harmed and, and you and I love restaurants and are connected to restaurants through mm-hmm. our work and our families and all that. And it's been a tragedy to see, but
1: mm-hmm. there
0: are some things that are emerging as possibilities because of the lessons learned. And I am so happy that, um, USDA and secretary Vilsack and, um, our Undersecretary of uh, Ag Marketing Service, a Californian person that we uh, really have, uh, you know, hold in high esteem, uh, Jenny Lester Moffitt is now head of AMS. Um, A lot of people within the government are seeing there has to be change. I think governments locally are seeing that. I think the industry is even aware of the fact that you can't really hide the, what I would call brittleness or the, um, you know, the risk of these centralized systems. And we know that the centralized systems have put downward pressure on the prices that are paid to ranchers and farmers raising these animals because there's very few buyers. Five companies uh, buy up like 95% of all the animals that come off the farms and ranches. So that puts downward pressure on prices. And that degrades the economic health of our rural communities. So it's really important and people understand it in the Congress and in the in the administration in DC and in the state government. It has to change. This is the moment.
1: You know, when you say this is the moment, it it also reminds me that there's there's some grant money available for various kind of programs and it varies from state to state. What are you seeing that, that might be available to help jumpstart, either in the form of research or some help for somebody that's trying to get a company like this started?
0: Yeah, very exciting time. So USDA has already announced a half a billion dollars, 500 million, to help put up more regional plants. That's for expansion of plants, new plants, training at plants, things that are needed to get up to a USDA standard, for instance, or to build a plant. That money is flowing and I have actually heard from certain sources that it might go up to a billion dollars. So that is a large flow of money. At the same time, there are grant programs, um, for education, for planning, for um, regional food system infrastructure as well. Um, uh, uh, We've actually put in a grant with the Food Systems Lab and and many partners, actually, um, uh, 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 Chef Patrick Mulvaney and also... The UC Med Center, we put up, uh, UC Davis Med Center, put up a proposal to work in the central Sacramento Valley, so that's Sacramento Valley north of Sacramento and the coast in the north, to build some value chains up there that would supply into um, both the Sacramento metropolitan region and the Bay Area. To actually create supply chains of this mid-scale and small-scale meat. So uh, we've applied, we're waiting to hear, we're very hopeful. There are a lot of people doing creative things right now, and the money is flowing. And the state of California has, and one of the big things that we learned in our study is that there aren't enough people with the skills on how to slaughter, process, add value to meat. So there's a lot of money flowing for job training. And so Part of the thing we're trying to do with CDFA and our allies in this coalition with CCOF and others, um, UC uh, UC Co-op Extension was part of it, Food Systems Lab, a bunch of producers. We're all working together with uh, the the community college system and the um, United Food and Commercial Workers Union to get up some training programs so we can get more workers into the workplace in these plants.
1: Wow. It's so exciting. You know some of my checkered past, but there was a time where I actually had meat merchandisers working for me that were going around the country and demonstrating how you could break a carcass. They would take a, a, a whole lamb. And, and show people what to do with it, how you turn it into the, the leg and the chops and all the different things. And, and um, kind of gets me excited just to envision that again, because there's such value. There were people that wanted to learn how to do that. And I've recently heard from people that were looking at different career opportunities and saying, I wish I could be a butcher. I wish I could learn how to do something like, like this. So yes. I, I think there's going to be a, people that are going to want to say, let me in, let me participate in, in, in a program like that.
0: I think Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, actually there are, I'm thinking of the niche meat processing uh, promotion association um, that's based in Oregon, but, but really serves the entire nation. Really great. uh, A a really great program. They do a lot of these trainings. I actually did one years ago where a (laughs) chef, who had worked at Chez Panisse was now teaching people how to break animals. And we broke a lamb and it was really fascinating. And I loved it. And so many young people want to do it yourself. Now there are so many young people learning skills that have been lost. And this will be very exciting for them. I think,
1: you know, I think everybody assumes that this is just going to be for some small, maybe organic, maybe, you know, very local. But one thing I've heard, Michael, is that some of these pretty good size Uh, meat producers are wanting to peel off some of their production and go this way. Even if they were able to go to the large scale plants, they've they've learned their lesson and they would like to get into this other area a little bit. So you may have somebody that's raising thousands of cattle in a feedlot or something, start peeling off 15, 20, 30, 40, and they're getting interest too and saying, I want to have some go direct. And there's actually more dollars come to them. From the direct sale because you you've really cut out all a lot of the steps in the middleman. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's some of the cost, too. So even though on the one hand you say, gee, the volume must mean that it's going to be a lot more expensive. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you you haven't you haven't trucked this product uh, three or four states away to have it slaughtered and processed and broked and sent to a distribution center and then trucked another. Two thousand miles to be able to, you know, wait in a cooler till it's distributed to somewhere else. So there's some efficiencies in this that don't occur to people when they first start talking about it.
0: You're absolutely right, and and one of the huge things there is that when you're shipping your cattle somewhere else and they're being bought by a big operation, big processing operation, you're getting cents on the dollar um, for that meat per pound, and and when you sell direct, you're getting a lot more of that money and um, and uh, I mean, I, I was buying, uh, f- I was buying whole cows a few years ago out of Mendocino County from a rancher. I was paying four fifty a pound for the actual animal. This is after it's been slaughtered and broken down into uh, basically meat and bone. I was paying four fifty a pound, which is and that was steaks and burger. It was all the same price but they were getting all $4.50 a pound for that animal instead of cents on the dollar. So it made sense for that ranch to do that. And I think you're absolutely right. In fact, Molly Watkins um, from the Central Valley has been on our committee. Um, she's not organics. That's not her thing. They sell through the, the, um, auctions primarily, but this might be just, and the reason she's participated in this is because she wants options and she doesn't feel like it's a fair system right now. And I think that's right. And so, um, we think ranchers of every scale, um, uh, will be able to take advantage of this, but it'll be particularly good for those small producers who have been trapped by the regulations that have kept them in these California plants outside the USDA plants and limited on where they can sell. You know,
1: another area you've got experience in, if you've seen this done with produce. It's Mm -hmm. a, a lot different. We don't have to have the meat inspection and so forth, but still you've seen success of really creating some small farms of people that have been able to make a living now and farming five acres or a couple acres and urban farms and so forth. And you've connected with people doing that, not only in California, but all over. And And in a way, I think that maybe is something we can look to. I mean, it's uh, because the produce area to be able to sell to the local farmers markets and the other things they've done, it's been able to evolve quicker because it doesn't have quite as many obstacles. But, um, but do you think there'll be lessons in what what we've learned with those direct markets?
0: Yes. In fact, in our report that CDFA has and has agreed to start a new committee with us to study the innovations needed in this area over the next year or so, um, one of the recommendations in there is that we do what we've done with the produce industry in California. California um, puts money aside through the farm to school program to purchase uh, uh, California produce for our students. We also have the uh, California Nutrition Incentive Program and the federal program, which gives families on food stamps or, or uh, WIC, uh, Women and Infant Children and other um, nutrition benefit programs, the ability to double their purchasing power for California produce and, and even beyond California produce now. So that's really important lesson. And one of the things we've recommended is that California should set aside funding to buy local meats, regional meats, California meats, for our systems in a very similar way, because what that does is it primes the pump for the marketplace and it becomes really important, especially important for our rural communities, because our rural communities for the last 60 years, you and I have talked a lot about this because of the concentration of the way the industry works um, uh, devastating impacts. Uh, on, on creating um, really poverty in our rural communities. So the poorest communities in the United States are rural communities. And that's because of the way our system works now. By creating these economic engines, we revitalize those communities. And that is important. It's one of the one of the things that would rebuild trust in democracy, I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, that reminds me of another thing. We had a Proposition 12 that's going into effect now. And, and you recall a Proposition 12 was really identifying how much space and the production practices, especially it's going to affect um, laying hens and, and, and pigs and, and veal. And the restrictions are going to apply now that because of that that passed and it's going to go into effect in this coming year, uh, if you are sourcing meat from out of state into California, they also are supposed to have followed those production practices. So the same size of pins and so forth that, that we've dictated from this action here in California are going to have to apply. Now, now, Michael, this is causing a lot of consternation uh, outside of here. Is that, because how are they going to do that? How are they going to comply with whether what California is saying the production practices have to be? It would seem to me that that this is another opportunity then for maybe the farmers in the state that it's easier for them to comply with California regulations. Um, you know, again, I have a hard time sorting it out, and it's a really controversial in a get a lot of discussions about this about this issue, whether a state should be able to do this, but it has done it, it's going to go into effect. I'm I'm wondering if you see any any implications um as as Prop twelve comes into effect and this opportunity to process more meat locally.
0: Yeah. It's um It's always challenging. Regulations, you know, farmers and ranchers hate hate new regulations because it's a hard, we know, you and I talked about, and everyone knows that farming is a hard business. And um, everything like this costs more to do to set up. There's a setup cost. Now, the question is, California's high standards around the environment and animal welfare um, place us in the top. Tier In terms of product quality, when you measure not only taste and flavor, but also safety, but also all the corollary values associated with good husbandry practice and taking care of our animals, taking care of the environment. There are many, many consumers and rapidly expanding because of climate change and all the challenges, all the news about animal welfare. There are more and more people willing to spend a few extra dollars in order to support the changes in the food system. So what I think is possible, and I think you, you, you were wondering or, or your question is around this, will our farmers and ranchers be able to take advantage of this? I right. hope they will. I know, I see the resistance, I hear the resistance, I hear their concerns, and I know that folks off the outside the boundary of California are pissed off, um, but you know what, in the years ahead, they may be grateful because we're going to put the whole nation potentially ahead of the pack if we do this work.
1: I, I tell you, it's an interesting time, and uh, I have to go back to one thing you said a few minutes ago about the, that there are actually funds available to help this transition, and you know, it still gets my attention when you when you talk about a billion, when you, you know, now we're talking trillions and so many things, and and uh, yet I'm still impressed with a billion. And if you can look at a half billion or a billion that's available to help with these transitions across the country, and the USDA is going to be engaged, that's real money. Uh, that will, will help. Now, will that be, uh, you said there's training sessions and so forth but will there be some sort of grants that might be available for people that are making investments in facilities, or do you have any ideas on that
0: yet? Well, I have ideas, whether we haven't actually seen the RFPs yet. Um, I have talked to some of the economists working on the, on the RFPs in in DC, but it's not clear at all what they're going to do. But I have heard, I have heard the secretary say that um, there could be guarantees so let's say you're a private investor and you want to invest in a meat processing plant in the state of California or upscale a current state plant to a federal level. Um, it's possible there could be guarantees for those private investors that are helping to make that happen. Um, you know, so there's I, I think there, there I, I, there's going to be grants for construction. Yes, there's going to be a. a, a Plants. I mean, grants for training your current staff to meet USDA standards. Um, if you're just, let's say, a, a California license plant. Um, so yes, there's going to be all kinds of plant uh, of 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 issues. One of the things that currently I I, I have not seen, which I'm concerned about, and in our report to the state and to the USDA, we we mention it quite vociferously, and we have very specific recommendations. Many local jurisdictions, that is, counties and cities, have. Competing or contradictory regulations around the dealing with wastewater and biological waste that might be created. So fats that are better cut off or skin from an animal, what do you do with that waste? It's very difficult right now. Basically, all the, the the biological waste has to go to a meat rendering plant where it's turned into all kinds of products, and the water um, has to go uh, to um, uh, uh, has to go through the sewage system. Now there are we have big problems here because our county will allow some things and our city will allow some things, but they contradict that's happening all over. So, uh, and then because of there's controversy around also around um, animal welfare, you have people who don't uh, want to see animals slaughtered, demonstrating before boards of supervisors and city councils to stop these things. So we're trying to come up with ways to provide cutting edge technologies that deal with both wastewater and biological waste on on the facility. There are composting systems. There are uh, man-made waterways. Um, there are uh, vermiculture systems to deal with both wastewater and, and biological waste that are cutting edge, really safe, and affordable for the for the operation. So we're really trying to get the state to embrace that and give guidance to all the cities and counties to allow these new technologies. Because right yeah. now the cities and counties don't pay attention to it and nobody can do anything.
1: There's so many things here. The one thing I think about too, Michael, is that, This supports diversity uh, within our breeds of livestock, because the the larger scale commodity type operations tend to get one breed or one cross, and and everybody tries to produce that. And there are so many other heritage breeds that are different type breeds of hogs and cattle and sheep and so forth that are getting lost. Uh, This kind of is one more way, it seems to me, to be able to encourage them that they can that they can produce some of these uh, some of these breeds and be able to establish a market for whatever it is. There are just so many things like that. Um, so I find I find a lot to be enthused about.
0: I'm with you 100. And 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 this idea of diversifying breeds is so important. I think we learned from the pandemic that um, diversity is so important. I mean, we see it in genes. Some people were really uh, able, uh, you know. Uh, what's the word, Um, at risk for COVID and some were not. And sometimes it's genes, sometimes it's health. We don't know what all the reasons and complexities are, but we know in the animal world and we know in the plant world that the more diversity, the more safety there is for um, the animal world because diversity means different genes and different responses to environmental impacts. So yeah, we need a lot more diversity in our food system, particularly around livestock, I think. So
1: let's just pull back and, and summarize a little bit because it's, it's hard to get your arms around it. I mean, you and I both are real excited about it. And I think there's a lot of people that are excited about it. Like I said, every state I've talked to has got the similar issues that they're wanting to pursue. And now there's a funding program right now will there be a go to person in in these states and in our case it might be UC Davis or or the the state department of agriculture do you expect them to be naming somebody on staff that is the point person on these issues so people can find someone to talk to and 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 know what to do next
0: i think that when when the money starts to flow which i think will probably be early next year um and actually some of it for research is already flowing. But um, I think that either uh, probably the Rural Development Agency at USDA in combination with CDFA um, and which maybe, is the
1: California Department of Food and
0: Agriculture. Right. Or maybe the foods, uh, uh, Farm Services Agency, which is FSA, um, which is another entity of the USDA, which is in every state that, that lends money and provides uh, insurance, all kinds of things. I think any, any of those three agencies will be probably active in this space. Um, uh, or maybe the Ag Marketing Service will be putting out RFPs. Um, that will uh, requests for proposal that will flow through all the networks um, that that support farmers and ranchers, like um, CCUF or, or uh, Farm Bureau or, or California f- um, uh, Community Alliance with Family Farmers. All those a- agencies will probably be seeing these these requests for proposals, so it will get out.
1: So, Michael, it seems to me that. Uh, an ending message might be to all those people that wanted to see this happen is keep the faith. It's uh, uh, You can see that there's a likelihood something's coming down the pike and that if there are um, a restaurant that would like to source more locally and use meats like, like you were mentioning some of the restaurants that we know so well that are really open to this, consumers that ultimately want to take advantage of filling their freezers again and being able to use it with local meat or producers – For all the different reasons we've talked about right now, you should keep the faith because it looks like it's finally getting to move.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking of Santana Diaz at UCD uh, Med Center and, and Patrick Mulvaney. Their enthusiasm about helping the restaurants and the food service organizations get access to these things. They're very excited. I think that the message is correct. Keep the faith. Things are happening. And if anybody would like to access the report that I'm referring to, which is a very readable report that details everything, all the recommendations we have in the background, you can find it on the Roots of Change Uh, website, that's rootsofchange.org. And you go to our project section and you'll see meat processing and you'll be able to get the document. It's a PDF and you can download it and see it. You can email me through that site. If you have any questions or concerns or interest, Um, love to join with people and and, and talk and build support um, for a lot more happening in this space. Michael,
1: I tell you what, I hope you keep the faith because you're doing a lot of good and you're making things happen and you're in the middle of something that's exciting right now. And I I want to thank you for taking the time out to share with us on Farm to Table Talk.
0: Always a pleasure to speak with you, Roger, anytime, anyplace. Good to see you.
1: You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us.